You know, when you uh, go out and, and just serve as an everyday missionary, whether you're in Appalachia or you're right here in Northeast Ohio, it's not popular all the time. Uh, you might hear something like this. Stop forcing your religion onto others. You are not always right. Or, I'm good with God. Just leave it alone. Or, why do you Christians think that you got it right anyway? And everybody else has it wrong. You know, I posted uh, some questions on Facebook last week. When you share your faith with your family in the marketplace or in your community, what kinds of criticism, opposition, ridicule, rejection, alienation, or marginalizing have you faced? And I got tons of answers and just a few. You are narrow-minded. You are just creating self-fulfilling prophecies for yourself. And when they come true, you say, God did it. Put down the Bible and get back to the real world. Uh, one person wrote, with my family, my nickname is Moral Compass. <laughs> and then another one, my siblings roll their eyes at me and sarcastically say, hallelujah, and then tell me to get out of here with that stuff. Uh, this is what some CVCers say they're facing right here, right now. Pastor Chad said this, accusations or afflictions come through verbal and relational hostility. It's adversity couched in accusations of being narrow-minded or bigoted. Often it feels like misdirected anger toward God. You've been labeled narrow-minded, bigoted. Have you experienced hostility? See, if you've been told that when you come to Jesus, life will be wonderful, you've been told a lie. It's not necessarily true, right? I mean, we got to be ready to face ridicule and opposition and rejection. Uh, and if you're not ready for that, when you face it, then uh, you might go, you know what? I've had enough of this Jesus business. Some people run into difficulties when they start talking about Christ out there. And they might, in the, might end up even quitting the faith. Going, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. Listen, all Christians suffer for being Christians. All Christians suffer for being Christians. All real Christians do. You know, this gospel that says, hey, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and everybody's going to love you isn't the real gospel. If you're a genuine Christ follower, to some degree, you will be, or you are, or you have been misunderstood, mocked, marginalized. Because the Bible says, through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not heaven yet. So don't expect life to be wonderful yet. It will be more wonderful than you ever considered or ever dreamed someday, but not yet. And so the Bible is clear to tell us how we're supposed to think about suffering affliction right now. So today's talk, I just want to warn you, is not going to be a popular, feel-good talk. Okay? If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, then you're going to hear kind of a family chat and we're going to be talking about some of the tough stuff that believers face. But you know what? It's worth it to face the tough stuff. Think with me about this. If, we, if what we believe about Jesus is not true, then we might as well just close our Bibles, fire down the apps, walk out the door, 
and just try to get as much pleasure in life as we can possibly get. If it's not true, then it doesn't matter. If it is true, nothing else matters. You ought to be living this day in a way that is going to make difference, make a difference 15 billion years from now. It's important what we're talking about. So let's open our Bibles today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now again, we've got a letter of encouragement from this spiritual leader. His name is Paul. He's like a guy that plants churches. He shows up uh, 2,000 years ago in an ancient city called Thessalonica in an old uh, country called Greece there. And uh, he begins to tell people about Jesus. And he starts this church. It's an unpopular message, so much so that Paul has actually run out of town. And when he's away, he begins to think about these followers of Christ there in Thessalonica. He wonders how they're doing. So he sends a young man, Timothy, back to check up on them. Timothy comes back and he says, they're standing strong. They have not been moved, even though they've been suffering difficulty and hardship for their faith. The message is still unpopular in town, but they're standing strong. They haven't been moved. And so Paul writes a letter back to them to say, way to go. You're my pride and joy. Now, last week we talked about how Paul encouraged these followers of Jesus because they were his pride and joy. They walked worthy of God. They let the word of God work in them. They shared so that others would be saved. And because of that, they began to suffer persecution. So let's uh, read what Paul has to say here. Paul warns them over and over about the fact that they're going to be suffering for the cause of Christ so that they wouldn't be surprised and they wouldn't be disappointed when the sufferings came so that they wouldn't abandon their faith, so that they would continue to not be moved. So let's read it. 1 Thessalonians 3, start with verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, I didn't have any news about you, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved, that no one be moved. I shall not be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. I can breathe easy now if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Now, I've called this message, I shall not be moved. And did you notice that back there in verse 3 toward the end, he says, we are destined for this. For what? 
for the afflictions and hardships that come because we're following Christ, because we're witnessing for Christ, because we are everyday missionaries out there in the culture. And then he goes, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And the idea is that over and over and over again, I told you, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. We're going to suffer. Now, it says we are destined. The, the, the Greek word there is kaimai. And it literally means to be set in place. And the idea, the translation could be, we have been set in place for this. You've been set in your neighborhood for what? To suffer some affliction for being a spokesperson for Christ. You've been set in place where you work to suffer that as well. We are pointed to this. This is to be our lot. This is what we're bound to face. Troubles are part of God's plan for us. A lot of different... And he says, we kept telling you over and over. We keep telling you afflictions are coming. I want you to think about this. Our faith does not advance by force or might or power. Our faith, faith advances through suffering and pain and hardship, and sacrifice. I mean, think about it. The Islamic faith. It was founded by Muhammad. Muhammad was a fighter, a warrior, a a killer, who made people submit through force. Our founder is Jesus. And Jesus started the faith by giving his life to build the kingdom, who sacrificed himself. He didn't kill Others, he died. So that's our Lord. That's our leader. That's who we follow. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, and he was familiar with grief. It says he was afflicted. And here's the deal. Everybody who wants to be a follower of Christ needs to follow down that path also. Now, you may not suffer like Jesus suffered, but there should be some suffering, some sacrifice, Because that is what gives legitimacy to our faith. When people see that we're willing to stand for the truth and even suffer because of it, they go, wow, maybe this stuff is real after all. See, Christ's kingdom is advanced through the sufferings and the afflictions of his followers. And that means me, and that means you. And, and it says here, Paul kept telling them over and over, right? Let me just give you a few things that Paul says. To the believers in Antioch in Acts chapter 14, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. He tells the Romans, you are fellow heirs with Christ if you suffer with him to be glorified with him. And then he writes to the church in Corinth. He goes, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He writes to the church in Philippi, for to you it has been granted the privilege for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his behalf. And then he writes to his uh, mentee, uh, the guy he mentors, Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then uh, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul says over and over and over again, suffering will come, suffering will come, suffering will come. Why suffering? Well, it's because we're sharing this good news of Jesus with people. It's not a popular message. It's not politically correct. 
It seems to be narrow-minded and intolerant. It's because we're actually inviting people to new life in Christ. Dick Hillis said this, Every heart with Christ, a missionary. Every heart without Christ, a mission field. If you have Christ in your heart, you're to be an everyday missionary, wherever you are. See, our job is to become beloved children, grow, and then become missionaries. And, and, and so, have you truly become a beloved child? You say, well, how do I know if I've become a beloved child? You're amazed by grace. That's what. I can't believe that God would save the likes of me. I get a ticket to heaven. Are you kidding me? I want everybody that I know to also be amazed by grace. I want everybody that I know to become a beloved child. Well, how can everybody that I know become a beloved child? The only way is if I become a missionary. Everybody in this room, if you're a beloved child, you grow through this whole process we have here, and you become an everyday missionary. Why? Because there are people in the world who are not yet beloved children of God. So we go into uh, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth because we want other people to become beloved children of God. And here's what I think. If you're not interested in being a missionary, if you don't care about other people. I'm not saying if you're a great missionary. I'm just saying if you're not interested in being a missionary, I'm not sure that you're really a beloved child. You with me? Because if you get this, you're going to be that. You can't help it. It's just what God does inside you. So if you're here and you're like going, all I want to do is go to heaven, dude. And I don't care if anybody else gets there or not. I'm going, man, I'm not sure you're a beloved child. Seriously. Seriously. David Platt said it this way, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. Every saved person this side of heaven. Everyone, if you're saved, you owe the gospel to somebody who's not saved. That's why you live where you live. It's why you work where you work. God didn't take you to heaven yet, did he? No, you're left here for a reason. The reason is to be on mission. You're supposed to be an everyday mission, missionary. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody that can save anybody. That's what the gospel's all about. So you say, well, I don't know how to do this. I, you know, I, 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 you talk me into it. How do I do it? Let me just give you five simple steps. Number one, start wondering about the spiritual condition of everybody you meet. Everybody you meet has a soul. And it's either going to heaven or hell, one or the other. There's no in-between. So just make yourself do it. Just start making yourself in your mind go, I wonder if that person knows Jesus. I wonder if that bank teller knows Jesus. Or the convenience store clerk, or your neighbor, or your coworker, or that driver that cut you off in traffic. I wonder if he knows Jesus. Probably not. <laughs> Learn to see people like Jesus did. They're sheep without a shepherd. My, my family went with, the, uh, we, went, we went to the uh, Ohio Scottish Games yesterday out in Wellington, a little town 45 minutes west of Cleveland. And it was a blast, a beautiful day. And uh, these guys from Scotland raised a bunch of money and built the biggest jump house in the world. 
And then they set it up out there in Wellington. And so, you know, my boys were having a good time. Grandkids were having a good time. I wasn't having quite as good a time in the jump house as they were. But I got to talking with one of the guys from Scotland. He's from Glasgow. He'd been in our country like four or five days. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if he knows Jesus. How can I get the conversation around to Jesus? And the best we could come up with is like, hey, there's this Scottish preacher in Cleveland. His name is Alistair Begg. Have you ever heard of him before? You know, I don't know how effective that was, but at least we were trying, right? Start wondering about the spiritual condition of everybody you meet. And then second, focus on five non-believers you know and pray every day for them. Just get a three-by-five card, write their names down, stick it in your Bible, and every time you see it, just, just even if it's a brief little prayer, Lord, touch James and, and, and Judy and... And Bill, let them come to know Christ. I mean, how much time is that going to take you? But your heart will begin to change. And then third, every day tell somebody you know something good about God. Just say something good about, just say something good about Jesus. Like, man, Jesus blessed me today. (laughs) Just one time every day say something good about Jesus to somebody. And then find a question or two you can use to begin a gospel conversation. Now, we had these up last week. Put them up again. How can I pray for you? Do you have much of a spiritual background? How would you describe your spiritual journey? These questions are in your program today. How do you make the most important decisions in your life? Or sometimes I'd like to share with you what's most important in my life. Would that be okay? I mean, you know, and if you can come up with some better questions than these... Send them to me. You know, be my guest. We'll publish your questions. But just think of some ways you can begin a gospel conversation. And then be ready to share the good news in a simple, non-threatening way. Around here, we use the Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. You can pick up a book on the way out in the foyer today. And uh, I say it this way. If, if you can remember three circles, three arrows and nine words, you can tell somebody how they can go to heaven. You know, one of our volunteers, Jim, shows us how to do it. It may not be easy, but it is very simple. So let's watch how Jim does this. So Scott, now that we got a chance to get to know each other a little bit more, and we were talking and you were expressing your view of the world and how messed up it is, can I take a little bit of time and share something with you? So God created the heavens and the earth. And he took a look at them and he said, this is good, it's very good. And that was God's design. It was a perfect design, but something happened. We turned away from him. And turning away from God is is called sin in the Bible, and we're all guilty of it. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we turn away from God, it ends up in separation in this life and in the life to come, in eternity. And so we end up in a place of brokenness. And like we were talking about, the whole world is messed up this way. And we try different things to, to remedy it. You know, we might try hobbies and money and our job and whatever it might be, but they take us farther and farther away from God. And we find ourselves in a state almost of hopelessness. And without God, it would be hopeless. But he provided a solution It's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. And the good news is this, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to earth. He was born a baby, grew up to be a man. And for the sole purpose of uh, going to the cross 
in sacrifice for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to stay in this state of brokenness. So that solution involves us believing in that story, believing in God and Jesus Christ, and repenting. And repentance means to turn away from sin and back to God. And if we do that, we can have restoration. We can be restored by God's power, and we can pursue him the way we were meant to in the beginning when God created the earth. We know that we're going to heaven to be with him again, and we won't be broken and separated from him. We'll have purpose in this life and in the next. That's good stuff. It's not easy to share that with someone, but it's simple to share that with someone. Three circles, three arrows, nine words, and you can communicate the greatest message ever. Now, when you do that, some who have been appointed to eternal life will respond. Others will not respond. Uh, They won't respond, and they may even cause you to suffer backlash. And you may be ridiculed, rejected, opposed, marginalized. Now, a lot of you in the room, you've already experienced that. Okay? And um, I want us to think about that a little bit. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What does it sound like? What afflictions might come here in Northeast Ohio because we're out there trying to be everyday missionaries? What might people say? How might people treat you? So I want you to reflect at maybe some experiences that you've had at the hand of family members or coworkers or friends. What, what do people say? What do people do? Let's brainstorm a little bit about that. So let me, let me hear from you guys. While you're thinking about that, uh, after the first service, one guy said, well, I'll tell you what I get at work. He's out, a construction guy. He goes, I get all kinds of comments, you know. I get, I get cussed at. That's what I get. So some of you have probably had that too. But what else? What else happens to you? What's that? All right, you're called a Bible thumper. Yeah, what else? Say it again. All right. It's not allowed here. And I would say this. I said this in the last service. When you're at work, your boss is paying you to work. He's not paying you to share Christ. Uh, Now, I'm not telling you don't share Christ. I'm saying share Christ on your time, not your boss's time. So, you know what? If if this message is worth sharing with somebody, take them out for a cup of coffee after work or a meal or have them over to your house. But spend some time uh, off the clock talking about Christ. People, People will, you know, maybe they'll come over to your house and do that. All right, what else? What else do you experience? What'd you say back there? All right, so who do you think you are? You're holier than thou, okay? Say it again. Okay, this is politically incorrect. Yes, it is. All right, so Christ's deity is questioned. Okay, what else? (laughs) That's good, that's good. 
I'll just put CH for church. One, give me one more. Okay. Stop throwing, stuffing, cramming religion down, down my throat. I just noticed, I'm looking up there, I'm going, the back of my head is a lot more shiny than I actually thought. <laughs> it's not. Can't you get a different angle? Who's taking that picture? I don't even know who's doing that. <laughs> it's a halo, right? Yeah. Tell that to Marianne. We'll see how far that goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're going to get this kind of stuff and more, right? You're going to get it. This means we got to be ready for it. And this is why Paul says over and over and over again, afflictions will come, afflictions will come. And of course, this pales in comparison to what some believers around the world are facing, right? We just get words thrown at us and accusations and stuff. I mean, they're suffering physically in many cases. But he doesn't want us to be surprised when these kinds of things happen, and he doesn't want us to abandon the faith, and he doesn't want us to be moved. So... I want us to see how Paul encourages the Thessalonians here. And in the process, he's encouraging us. All right, five quick points. Number one, how not to be moved? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Notice what he says here in verse 5. I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. What he's saying here is this is a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to neutralize you. The enemy wants to shut you up. The enemy wants you to abandon the faith. The enemy wants you to go, well, Christ's deity, maybe he wasn't God. This is a battle. The Bible talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we've got a spiritual enemy, the devil, and he's got helpers called demons. They're called rulers and principalities. And so these temptations, these thoughts that come into our minds, well, maybe some of this is true. Maybe I am coming across holier than thou. Maybe I am cramming my religion down somebody's throat. I should just lay low. Where do those thoughts come from? Is that the Holy Spirit telling you? Back off, shut up, lay low? I don't think so. That's the enemy that's telling you these things. Maybe you came here this morning after a tough week at work. People know you're a follower of Christ. Somebody at work mocked you, hurt you, said something untrue about you because you're a Christian. And you're thinking, you know what, dude, man, I'm just going to fit in from now on. I'm not going to try to win anybody at Christ at work anymore. It's just not worth it. And maybe God brought you here today to say, look, if you start thinking that way, you have fallen prey to the enemy. Satan has you right where he wants you. So don't give up praying. Don't give up sharing. I put you in that job for a reason, so be my everyday missionary there. Resist the devil. How not to be moved? Resist the devil. Second, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Now, Paul starts in verse 6, and he says, Timothy has brought us the good news of your faith. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, We have been comforted about you through your faith. 
So now we live, now, you know, life is better for me because I hear you're standing fast in the Lord. Your faith is standing strong. Why is he so comforted? Because they kept the faith. It's because faith is so very important. It is hardship and difficulty and persecution that tests the genuineness of your faith. Anybody can maintain the faith when life is easy. And when everybody's saying, oh, what a wonderful Christian you are. But when somebody says, I can't believe you believe that. You're so narrow-minded. You're so intolerant. And you stand strong. That's when we know your faith is real. And it's genuine. Down through the centuries, persecution has come to your brothers and sisters who have heard, deny Christ and we will let you live. But if you confess Christ, you're going to die. And they confessed Christ. They kept the faith, even if it cost them their lives. This is what separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the professors of faith and the possessors of faith. This lets us know who it is who's just playing church and who's all in. Who's pretending to be a beloved child and who really is a beloved child. Keep the faith means staying true to Jesus even when it's not popular. And speaking about Jesus even when it's considered culturally and politically incorrect. Now I'm not saying let's be obnoxious. I'm not saying let's be rude and inconsiderate. I'm not saying let's use the boss's time for Jesus' work. But I am saying we need to be bold. Bolder than we are. How not to be moved. Resist the devil. Keep the faith. Look for more or hunger for more. He says in verses 9 and 10, What thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply, you ready? What is lacking in your faith? Now, he's already bragged about the Thessalonians. He's already told them, You're my pride and joy. You're my crown and glory. That's at the end of chapter 2. So he's saying, hey, look, you guys are awesome. You are studs for Christ. You are great. But he says, I want to supply what's lacking. See, we're never, uh, we've never arrived. Like, think about it. LeBron James, he's pretty good at basketball, right? <laughs> Can LeBron James get better at basketball? Well, according to LeBron James, yes. He's always working every offseason to get better because we want to beat those dreaded Golden State Warriors. <laughs> right? We, we, he, he's great, but he can get better still. And so everybody in this room, I don't care how far along you are as a follower of Christ, there's something lacking in your faith and you can grow. Some of us in this room, you're kind of at the same spiritual level you were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you know what? That's not okay. That's why your witness for Christ is not nearly as effective as it may have been 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because you, you haven't added to your faith. <laughs> What's lacking in your faith? Maybe you're not praying for people who are lost around you like you once did. And you need to add that to your faith. Maybe you're not learning the new questions to actually open spiritual conversations. Maybe you don't know how to talk through a little booklet like this, a diagram like Jim just did. That's why I say, hey, get one of these booklets on your way out. 
Instead of watching some inane TV show when you're going to sleep, maybe read this and try to memorize the, 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 the presentation. Memorize a few questions. Add to your faith what is lacking to your faith that you could add to. So you don't want to be moved. Resist the devil. Keep the faith. Hunger for more. And then increase in love. Increase in love. Notice what he says in 11 and 12. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and make the Lord make you and increase and abound in love for one another. If you are actively sharing your faith and getting backlash from it, you need to be in a community of believers who are going to lift you up and keep you encouraged. Because after a while, it gets hard if you're out there trying to do it all alone, all by yourself. We need to encourage one another in this. You know, I, if I know that I have a friend who's at working at the Cleveland Clinic, and that friend is being made fun of and called a Jesus freak, and I'm at work at University Hospital, I'm a little more bold now because I know I got a buddy over at the clinic that's actually on the front lines as an everyday missionary. So you know what? I'm over here at university. I'm going to be on the front lines as an everyday missionary too. And then when they get together in a life group, they kind of encourage each other in that life group. They share their victories. They share their struggles. This is what it means to love one another so that we will not be moved. Now look at the verse again. It says, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And for all. Now who's the all? These are people that don't yet know Jesus. That's who he's talking about. These are people outside the faith. My question is, how much do you really love people that don't know Jesus? Why would we bother to share Christ with a culture that minimizes and rejects Jesus Christ and therefore minimizes and rejects us? And here's the answer. Love. We love God and we love those that don't yet know Him. We're going to share our faith with them because we want them to be forgiven. We want them to become beloved children. We want them to go to heaven. There's an atheist. His name is Penn Gillette. He's of that magician's duo, uh, the Penn and Teller group. And, and here's what he said. I love this. I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, he's talking about Christians like us. He's going, I don't, re I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? I think he sees it maybe more clearly than we do. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. <laughs> and this is more important than that. I mean, that guy that lives across the street, He's such a good guy, but you know he doesn't know Christ. And you never tell him? I, I don't really think this is going to happen in heaven someday, but sometimes I think this way. I'm standing there. I'm safe. I'm on the Lord's side. And there's my neighbor who's standing before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And then he hears, wow, you didn't bow the knee to Jesus when you had the chance. And there's everlasting torment to pay. And then my friend looks at me and he goes, why didn't you tell me? You know what the real answer is? I just didn't love you enough to tell you. How to not be moved. Resist the devil. Keep the faith. Hunger for more. Increase in love. And then long for home. Long for home. Paul turns his attention toward the second coming of Christ. Last part here, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before the Lord, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So this is kind of part of Paul's benediction here. And he says, I want you to be blameless and holy before God when Christ returns. And one of the ways to be blameless and holy before God when Christ returns is to be willing to endure the afflictions and sufferings that come from being a follower of Jesus and being an everyday missionary. Listen, people will stand in a long, 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 long line at Cedar Point just to get like 15 seconds of fun. I mean, if we know that on the other side of hardship is joy, we will endure stuff. And listen, what we suffer here, the affliction, the rejection, the hurt, all these things that we talked about being labeled as holier than thou, and a Bible thumper and all that business, it's just a little bit of time. In fact, Paul says in another place, You're going through momentary light afflictions which do not compare with the eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's what's happening. 2 Thessalonians 4.16 It's the business of this day enduring insults and persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ to prepare for that day. As the old song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One look at his dear face, all sorrows will erase. Some of us have suffered ridicule and rejection from our own families, and others have lost jobs and promotions and raises because we let people know that we're followers of Jesus. We try to be everyday missionaries. Some of us who play sports on a team have not been invited to parties to celebrate because people outside the faith know that we're not going to fit in and All that's disappointing. All that's disheartening. But perhaps God brought you here today to remind you, hey, you know what? This is not your home. This is not your home. You're a pilgrim. You're a stranger here. You're an alien here. Your home is somewhere else. And it will be worth it all once you get there for anything you have to suffer here. Resist the devil. Keep the faith. Hunger for more. Increase in love. Long for home. If you look at that list right there, that's a pretty good prayer list to pray for yourself. Lord, help me do these things. Help me do these things because I don't want to be moved. (laughs) I want to stand strong for Christ. No wonder one CBCer could write this. My mom called me a Jesus freak, which upset me very much. And I went into the defense mode. I didn't know how to respond as a Christian. And later, it came to me that my response should be, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for calling me a Jesus freak. Thanks for calling me a Bible thumper. Thanks for cussing at me. (laughs) 
Lee Strobel, there was a movie about his life uh, at the theater a few weeks ago. It was really good. He wrote this, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but who cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the co-worker who sits day after day in a cubicle right next to them. So what if that guy thinks you're a Jesus freak? I am a Jesus freak. And I will not be moved. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're going, you know what? You're talking about sharing. I'm not sure I've ever come to faith. I'm not sure I'm a beloved child. And how dare we end a service without giving somebody here an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Christ. You know, in your program, there's a prayer you could pray. It's on the screen. It's very simple. Uh, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to rescue me. I believe you're God who died in my place for my sin. You rose from the grave. Forgive me. Save me. I want to live for you. Help me increase and abound in love and establish my heart to be blameless and holy so I'm ready for your return.